Mm-hmm. There well, we hello. go. We're live. We are live. This is a go. Game. Yes. Let's do this. Episode 83 of First Frames First. I'm your sexy laid-back tie-dye shirt host. <laughs> you are very hippie-ish today. Yeah. Uh, what you have and to understand hair, is... You know, with the beard and the hair, you, it's a really, love a, really a whole picture that you're like a Love is like a like a beautiful flower. You gotta get right in and pollinate that shit. <laughs> that is cool. Thank you. Um, you know, this is our other host, Adrian. Um, Very glad that you remember the movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, today on our show, we have a, a, a another special guest. We're pretty excited about. Um, we have never, I think. I think we have never had a guest on our show that we haven't met before. Actually, you know what? What about Hobo with a Shotgun Writer? Oh, uh, that's true. The thing it, is, he, I he, mean, he, we did it in the same room, you know? True. So we kind of hung out and chatted for like, we had a couple of hours chatting before we did the show. That's right. Um, but uh, our guest today, I, I hope I don't butcher his last name, but Tom Tanisco. Um, is a, a, a VFX artist with a number of credits uh, to his name that are, are very exciting, and hopefully he can tell us some cool things. But we we hadn't heard of him before until we saw his pretty VFX-heavy um, short film that landed on Facebook. I, I have no idea how I ended up finding it, but I shot it over to Adrian, and I was like, you got to watch this short film. This is crazy. Um, and so we did post it on our Facebook earlier. We're going to bring Tom in to talk about it. And, uh, I got lots of, lots of questions and lots of things to say about his yeah. social media and all the extras that he put together. It's pretty great. I got to say this. I'm very excited about this interview. Um, just because I've always wanted to talk to someone about their VFX pipeline and how they do things and the order that they do things. And, uh, this is going to be great. Okay. So without further ado, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, We're going to start the show. Hey guys, I'm Adrian. And I'm Jay. We run Fable Forest Films. Right now, we're totally independent. What's the dream? Making crazy awesome film and television for the biggest studios. This podcast is our journey. There we go. Hey guys. Here we go. I don't know what's going to happen. It is an honor. To be on your show. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Here, here we go. This is our first, our first As comment. A stranger. Hi, uh, thanks, Derek. Thank you, Derek. Uh, Hello, welcome, Derek. Welcome, Derek. Um, yes, uh, as a stranger, I, I love it. I'm, you know, I don't know how, I don't know how much money you spent on, um, arguably the most important part of financing any short film, which is Facebook ads. Um, but somehow your short film quick suitors landed in my, my feed. Um, and then, uh, I gave it a watch and I was, yeah, it was, uh, something I had never seen an indie, uh, sort of filmmaker do before, you know what I mean? And, um, yeah, I really want to kind of dive into, uh, some of the ins and outs of, of the short sure so firstly tom i really enjoyed the short i love it um i one of the things that i saw primarily because i've done just a little bit of compositing 
is how much how much work it was. <laughs> I, was I was like, holy smoke, this is a lot. And it's funny because the timing of that, I had done my first, just as a favor to someone, I just like did some destruction right, on a scene right. for them. It, it, it was a scene of Hamilton and I just had to destroy the city. And so I had a lot of fun with it, playing around with it. Wait a minute. You had to destroy the city of Hamilton? Yeah, just in the scene. How was that? How was that hard? Oh, I had to grow really big. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the hammer! I, I love how you appeal to your fans. <laughs> yeah, we don't we don't yeah. have any of those. <laughs> Not in Hamilton. Not in Hamilton. Not, Not anymore. anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> certainly. Uh, so it's just I played with that just for a little bit, and then right after that, I saw your film, and I was like, "Wow!" I had a new appreciation of how much time and effort, and how much blending you probably did with elements and things like that. The feather tool, yeah, <laughs> probably well, an expert. It 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 is. Um, uh, first first and foremost, uh, I gotta say yes. It it is a lot of work, but I went the long road with this thing because uh, it was shot in 2010, and it was finished in 2019 in December. I I want to say that you know the. In addition to the short film, uh, you kind of spoke to me in another way, which was Latin. all of the, uh, I don't know what they're called, minuets or like the little vignettes or whatever uh, that you put on YouTube and Instagram, um, right. like after you had posted the short. And uh, I thought it was great because this was, this was, you know, Adrian, you have done one kind of director chat about about I was a greenhouse, but you know, Tom like took all these little moments and spaced them mm -hmm. out. Had a really cool, um, you know, um, artwork and cool music, and it kind of picked each one apart. And uh, the one I don't know if we can we should kick it off by talking about the uh, the the rough cut uh, episode. Where uh, you made me cry, Tom. Oh no! Because, uh, well, maybe no, I, I shouldn't pick it off with a downer, man. I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't ever cry, and and I didn't. But but let me tell you something. You hit me right in the in the thing because you were like, <laughs> your ch your chin was just doing the bubble. <laughs> <laughs> Tom was like, yeah, I shot this movie and I fucking let everybody down, and man. Every filmmaker knows yeah. what that feels like, right? Yeah. And so I was watching that, and I was just like, "Oh man, it's heartbreaking." But you know, you you know, how did you go from that kind of like despair when you didn't think that you could, you know, kind of pull it back together to having the finished product? Well, I think that I think that speaks to like. Uh us as us as independent filmmakers we have this spirit that it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what obstacles in our way we succeed only when we don't give up mm. and so uh you know it, even i mean i <laughs> you could say i kind of gave up like very early on because when i you know, the whole point of that little uh, uh, behind the scenes episode about that was talking about 
how devastating it can be to see your first rough cut. And then, you know, you're, you're, you think that you've, you know, you've done all this work in the beginning stages with the pre-production and then, you know, you're out there and you're shooting it and you've got all your crew there and everybody's all jazz and everybody's, you know, picking up what needs to be picked up and, you know, lighting what needs to be lit and then, you know, making, making things happen on the day. And then you figure, wow, okay, it's all done. It's in the can. I can just go and put it together and everything will be great. And then you do that and it's nothing like you thought or, or, you know, certain sections just don't seem to work. Mm-hmm. And then you're left with that. Uh, you're left with that unenviable uh, truth. That is shit. It's not done. Uh, there's yep. still so much more to, to go. And for this one specifically, because it was uh, so VFX heavy, mm-hmm. uh, the original plan was just to add in some CG here and some stuff there and, and sort of, you know, just run, you know, as, as fast paced as it is to, to almost run your hand in front of the camera, you know, while you're, you know, some crappy effect is going by in the back. Yeah. Uh, and then it does, you know, that didn't work. And I had people who, you know, they, everybody was, everybody was paid on this. Like we had a really minuscule budget. I think we had $6,000 and wow. So everybody, sorry, Tom. I'll just say that when I when I saw your your cuts, the YouTube cuts, and I saw what you were doing and the what it looked like, you guys were busy pulling off. Like six thousand is actually small. I actually thought it would have been higher than that. So you, it looked. I mean, it looked great. Well, that was. Let's just say that the six thousand was for production, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you know, I I it it's not really truthful to say that post production didn't cost anything because that's time. And, you know, if I was, if I was to pay a visual effects artist to do all the work that I did, yes, you know, that, that would have been a huge chunk. We, we definitely understand that with, with, you know, features out there. um, You know, the one that we're in post-production on now, um, we, it was the first time we were really able to pay people. Right. Right. And um, you know, with, uh, uh, our actors and you know most of our crew and we gave you know some of our cast and crew amazing amazing um uh jumped in to do some deferrals and things like that but we were able to to pay people but there's a lot of extra time sure. uh and effort uh that goes into the background where yeah adrian is slaving away uh in the editing booth and there's no dollars there yeah yeah, I mean, it, it, that, we know that for sure. You know, I think, um, hey, Leon. like I like I say, when you're when you're a, an indie filmmaker, you have you have um, uh, you know you have this obstacle in front of you, which is you want to make a movie so bad, and yet you can't afford to pay everything. I mean, if you needed something, then you know. If you don't have it, you're basically putting it out of your own pocket or you're putting it on your credit card and your credit right. card's just maxing out, you know, you, but you do it in the hope that it's going to eventually lead somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, every, every film, every indie filmmaker, you know, is in that same scenario. Uh, so, so when it comes to, you know, the, the things like, you know, paying yourself for me, it was just a, it wasn't it wasn't an option. It, I was just, I, I had no money to pay anybody and I didn't, I, you know, that's one, it's, it shows my inequity, in, in 
my my fallibility as a fundraiser because I don't know how to fund fundraise. I, that's one section I have never touched on. And it's obviously something I need to learn. Otherwise, every film I make is going to take a decade. Mm. But so, you know, you just take on this stuff and you just do it. And, you know, faced with the fact that I had like over 300 shots to do, it was like, I either do this myself and take as long as it's going to take or it gets abandoned. And I couldn't do that. I just, you know, too many people, if, if you know, when, when we shot this and we shot this in Godrich, um, mm. oh, cool. uh, just outside of Godrich in a little town called Vanastra was for the, all the interiors. And it was a CFB Clinton. It was a Canadian forces base that was decimated. It, I mean, it was beautiful. It's probably dangerous as all hell. There's probably formaldehyde in the walls, but we were in there for one day. Yeah. So everybody's okay. I hope. <laughs> so far, nobody's died. So, uh, yeah. Uh, but you know, for you know, the rest of it was shot outdoors in um, in a in a uh, quarry. Yeah. And you know, you you just you just do what you have to do to get it done, and that's basically what the what the visual effects was. I mean, that was. I, I do visual effects. I'm not good at it. I mean, you know, I don't make any claims. Like, I mean, it's right. obvious. Uh, I can't compete. And I know this for a fact. I'm not just saying this. I know I can't compete with today's artists. So uh, I chose a very specific way of presenting my film that could kind of be acceptable. Now, I'd love to, I'd love to show a couple things. Um, I'd love to show a piece of the of the short. Um, I'd love to show a piece of the rotoscoping uh, just because we're talking about how many, uh, maybe you can talk about how much effort went into there. So I'd love to show a a piece of your, your YouTube click. And, but if you had a particular moment of the short that you wanted me to show, if you care. Well, the, the part that gave me the most, uh, I think the part that gave me the most satisfaction was the end credits, but I don't think that's going <laughs> to. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to pick it. I'm going to pick a spot, but that's fine. Adrian, what, uh, I, I know the spot that I want to show, but, uh, okay. what, um, go ahead, Adrian. Uh, well, I just wanted to say that it's been my experience, Tom, that, uh, and this is, it'll probably resonate with you is that, uh, whenever you make a movie, you leave pieces of your soul shaved off in the trail behind you as you I move used to forward. be six two. Now I'm five eight. <laughs> you, like it's it's a wonderful process to finish, but it's compl- it's it's kind of destructive to yourself as you move through. You're just like it's like it's you're a punching bag, and you just have to keep plowing through. Yeah. So well, well done on getting to the end because you're right. Like I gave on my first movie, I remember I gave a speech at the beginning and I said, movies, it's like tri- going on a trip. We're going on a trip. It's like we're traveling from here, Ontario to Vancouver. Right, right. If we, we can go all the way and we can get two kilometers from Vancouver. If we don't go all the way, then everything's for nothing. And so, yeah, man, well done on finishing your movie because that's the thing. Well, you know, and again, one one of the biggest parts of it was the fact that when we were shooting it and the people who were involved, such excellent, excellent people. Uh, my 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 co-producer, Isaac Elliott Fisher, and I were originally like, he came to me at one point and said, I want to do this movie. I just want to shoot it because I'm a cinematographer. I said, great, let's do this. 
and everybody that became involved in it, it was, I, I always, I was liking it to like, um, uh, community barn building because everybody mm -hmm. just came together and was so giving. And that was part of the inspiration for actually getting it done was to honor the effort, uh, in spite of the fact that, you know, sure you can say that you paid them, but nobody's, nobody's paid what they're worth on a short film, you know, mm -hmm. That's true. but anyway, you know, that's uh it was just part of the part of honoring their effort and um and just you know wanting to do something with it 100 i'm gonna i just want to show a piece of this rotoscoping uh clip here because i sure. can't find the spot of the uh the short that i want to play but hold on everyone uh, just one second here we go all right, so, oops, oops, hold on, hold on. Let's remove that. We're gonna do this one more so time. Most of your work done in, in Adobe in After Effects? That's right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so uh, maybe you can just give us a quick, here we go. We're removing certain areas of the image so you can use a specific part. It's tedious and time consuming. It actually feels like a punishment. I hate it. But it was absolutely necessary for my visual effects to work. Typically, when you want to put an actor into a new setting, you shoot them on green screen and then remove the green or blue if you're using blue screen. If you do it properly, the process is efficient because you're removing a color that isn't on your actor. If your background color is part of their wardrobe. All right. I'm going to stop it there. But but you you kind of taught you show you're showing one frame and uh, the one thing that i loved was you were getting into the math of saying like in order to replace the background of the character you literally had to cut and paste the guy out of every single frame yeah. and you were talking about having to do about uh in that one running scene a minute and a half uh which was 3000 or something like that frames that you did every time can you can you talk a little bit about that process in general? Uh, yeah, uh, basically it's just that, I mean, in the old, in the olden days, uh, they used to actually have to just, you know, hand drawn on the emulsion. And I could not imagine that. Thank God we have computers now, but it's the same process. Like if you're in Photoshop and you want to remove a background on somebody, all you're doing is you're selecting a lasso. Let's see if I can do it on myself. You're selecting with your lasso around, you know, the area, and then you're hitting delete on all this crap and just leaving the person in the front, which can get pretty dodgy if you're not doing it well enough. Uh, and there were, you know, there were times when I was just like, I can't do this, but you just, you know, uh, thankfully a lot of my, a lot of the stuff that, you know, a lot of my shots were, you know, people running fast. And so you can't really focus on specific details um you know you can see that in in like that must the, have been tough with the screen blur and the some of the characters you don't have a you don't have a hard edge so you're like what exactly like the the there's a bunch of little tricks uh mm -hmm. one thing one thing you do is first off you cut out the background and then after you're done that uh, when you play it, you can see that it's all jaggy and when somebody moves by, I mean, you know, there's no motion blur. So how do you, how do you cut around motion? Mm -hmm. uh, but, but the trick is that you cut around a specific area and then you 
add motion blur to it. Mm -hmm. okay. That's the trick. The trick is to think like a camera yeah. uh, because what you're doing is not, it's not exact. And that's yeah. why like the whole process is just so meticulous and mm -hmm. slow. And one of, one of the things that I have noticed with doing any kind of any, anything with VFX compositing or rotoscope or anything, you think you'll do it quick and you do it three or four times and then you come back and you do it one frame at a time, really slow, really meticulous. And that's the only way that it works. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. And you think, oh, yeah, this little section here, I can just blast through that. And yeah. then you go, oh, my God, that's actually the hard part. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I... Yeah, you know, I I did my breakdown of of the visual effects for for this thing. Came up with a, I think it was the total was three hundred and twenty four or three hundred twenty six shots. And so when it came to doing the rotoscoping stuff, I mean, it's boring, it's dry. You know, thankfully I can listen to music when you're doing that kind of stuff. You know, that's why I had two sons uh, <laughs> fifteen seventeen years ago. I would have got them down here and uh, I would have been like, part of your job <laughs> is to do one frame every time I do three frames because otherwise <laughs> daddy's going to yeah, go crazy. Yeah, it's, it's like, you know, you, you put them outside in the winter to shovel your driveway. Why not do rotoscoping? Karma. But uh, I will do the vacuuming. You guys get down there and I'm trace around the guy. Tougher. That's right. <laughs> you finish my damn movie. <laughs> um, okay, so I want to. Uh, we've been chit chatting, and, and and I think we've neglected a very important uh, aspect here. Uh, Tom, tell us what Quicksuiters is all about. <laughs> oh, uh, I completely forgot. Yeah, yes, uh, we're not we're not that great at this <laughs> hosting kind of sort of job. Uh, it's a short film about the last uh, the two last men on Earth fighting for a date with the last woman. So what I want to do is I want to show a clip. It's about 30 seconds or so, um, but it just kind of shows the actors, the background and, and, uh, and something else that I think is, is super awesome. So we're going to, we're going to share that. Now, Tom, oh, sorry, sorry, Adrian. No, you, you have to, on. you have to shut it for a second. Okay. Here we go. Shut it. So I love his smile. His smile <laughs> is so big. I told I, I, uh, that was uh, his name is Chris Spoletta, uh, and, and uh, part of the direction for him was to to channel his best Bruce Campbell. 
But we but need you to be as gross as possible. There is there is definitely a lot of Bruce in his performance, which is so awesome. Yeah. Because he, of course he contradicts or he contrasts the other guy who is just you know the the uh, impeccable gentleman in the in the in that scenario. Really well cast. I thought that they. I mean, they all fulfilled. They they met the character requirements just perfectly. And I thought it was cool that um, you know you went for no dialogue, um, which was cool. I mean, you know. I'd like a little bit of dialogue, but I, I actually, I actually kind of chuckled out loud when, when the robot smiled. I thought that was amazing. Yeah. Um, Quick question: Is that you in the three D? Is that you building <laughs> the robot in the cars? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Everything. Everything. Well, you... let's just say that there was a there was a momentous moment about uh, three, maybe four years ago, when. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you guys are familiar with a website called Turbo Squid. No, but that I will show the car. I'll show the cars too quickly in a few minutes. It's it's a three D website where uh, anybody can upload uh, any Amazing. resolution of models, and you can buy your models. Someone had put up a pack that was two hundred dollars Canadian. Mm -hmm. That had uh, it looked like lidar scan um, uh, wrecks. So I don't know, you know, somebody was on some uh, big budget set and actually had a LiDAR camera scan uh, these three, these actual wrecks in dirt and, and gravel and, and rocks. And then they upload those and I'm like, wow, they're lit perfectly. <laughs> like, otherwise it was me having to model all that stuff. So it, that one pack, that $200 pack contained, I think, like maybe six or seven cars, which I could duplicate and change the colors on and then rotate and, yeah. you know, populate a scene with. And it also had like a lot of uh, broken piles of bricks and boulders and, and, uh, and uh, building detritus. And, uh, yeah. and there were some destroyed buildings in that. And it was like, dear God, <laughs> that this just saved me thank, like three Thank you very years. much. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, that was one of the only purchases that that I actually made because that if if it wasn't for that, I don't know. It, it it you know a lot of those models are really expensive and I could not afford that. So yeah, uh, that was that was a godsend that one. Mm -hmm. Awesome. But Do the rest you... of it, yeah, it's like you know the robot is mine, uh, and I don't know if you've you take took a look at the other behind the scenes stuff, but I do totally. Want to on the robot yeah i love the i love the one on the robot your your one uh your one about the cars was pretty hilarious really honestly it, it you know we're gonna post some stuff you know in the show notes and things like that first of all people you should watch the short but then you mm -hmm. should just go to tom's uh youtube video or youtube channel because he's got so many behind the scenes things which walk you through like how he put a giant fuck you on a cod piece on the guy's dick. It was amazing. Um, you know, the, the, everything was great. Probably for that was excellent. Thank you. Every time he sort of thrust his crotch, kind of the, the twisting of the, the twisting of the leather, it was a good, very, that was cool. I really like that. <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of fun because every step he takes, he's like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> All right, I gotta, I gotta show one more thing, and then and then we're gonna cut it out with the sh screen share here. Hold on, there we go. This is just these are these are your your 
your cars, your vehicles. And so uh, we can talk a little bit about these here as well. Hold on. Let's get some down. So I should say that the the hero models, uh, those were not store bought. Those those were adapted. Like I did have for um, for one of the guys. He's he's the one with the four engines, the jet engines. That's strapped to a uh, a VW Golf. Mm -hmm. So I didn't build the VW Golf. I took an existing VW uh, Golf and then adapted all the different parts and stuff. And the same for the uh, the other vehicle was a smart car. Uh, you probably can't tell it with all the stuff taken off of it and, you know, the discoloration and stuff. But, yeah, I didn't you – know, those models were uh, free on a site called – I think it's SketchUp, which is – I think they're – I think they're affiliated with uh, Google. So if you model your own house in SketchUp and up import it there, I think somehow they can tie that to Google to put it into Google Maps – so that you can actually have a model that you built of your own <laughs> building uh, on Google Maps. Now, does it have to be accurate or can it be <laughs> awesome? Can it be a castle? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think there probably is a little verification going Stupid. on, I would hope. Oh, look at that. Now, I just want to ask, in your, uh, with because you would take these models and you would do things to these models. Now, 3D to me is just this terrifying beast of a creature that the the, the depth of the hole is so deep that I, right. I just kind of steered clear of it as, as much as I could. Like, what did you use? Wise. That is very wise. Yeah. Trust me. What did you use to like to, to discolor the models and to take these models and add other things to them? And what software were you using? And then would you put that in After Effects? The process basically goes, you buy or you create your model. Uh, and when the model is, when the model is done, it just looks like you've made it out of cardboard mm -hmm. because it has no, what we call textures. So the textures that you place onto your model are actually the things that make it look like it looks in reality. Um, it, it, you know, Im imagine, Im I don't have anything around here. Uh, imagine like, I see you got a little Y wing back there. I like that. I do. But here, this is uh, basically a globe, right? So you can't really see anything. Uh, it has no texture on it. So when you know when uh, a texture artist takes this, they'll. I don't know if it's not. It's not going to do it because I can't. It can't do the thing. So this was a bad example, but yeah, I understand what you're saying. If if the if the ball was supposed to look like a beach ball, then you'd they, have they, to apply a picture to it. Look exactly, yeah. So so it's in you know I would take the the maps, the texture maps that are supposed to go onto it into Photoshop, and then I would find pictures of rust or bullet holes, and then I would add them in the in the appropriate spots. 
there's lots of tricks to give them depth. Uh, they're called bump maps or normal maps, uh, which fakes like, you know, if your surface is, is like this with a bump map, you can actually make surface extrusions on it. Mm-hmm. At least they appear that way. It's, mm-hmm. it's a little funny trick. But, um, but yeah, then after you do that, then you light it. <laughs> then you light it appropriately. Then you animate it the way you want to see it. Then it renders. Then you get all these frames in sequence. You pull that all into After Effects. In After Effects, you add your backgrounds or your clouds or weather or dust or lasers or whatever. Uh, and then you render that again. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a huge multi-layered process. You seem to have this like sheen over the whole thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's that was that to help cover some sins. Just... <laughs> <laughs> oh God, yeah. Like I said, I'm not. I I don't make any claims about my abilities in visual effects. I you know I've I'm self-taught. I never went to school for it. Uh, I just um, for for this. You know, part of part of the depression part of it was trying to th- trying to uh, resolve how am I going to do this photo reel with all the photo reel stuff that's out there done by these amazing artists and these teams of artists, right? Mm-hmm. How can I compete with that? And then it was just like, well, geez, I saw I saw Sucker Punch, and I saw uh, what was it, uh, Sin City. Yeah, yeah and, yeah, yeah, and those films aren't rendered realistically. They have a very distinctive visual style, and I just thought, can I not find a style that I can use that kind of does that whole? Don't pay too mm-hmm. much attention. Don't look know? behind the curtain. Yeah, exactly. Like, don't look at it from that standpoint. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you look at the um, the CG work in Jurassic Park. There's a reason why they have most of those shots covered in rain. And the the rain essentially gives you something between you and the CG, because I don't think they were completely uh, uh, confident in the way it was going to be perceived. Do you hear that, everyone? You've heard it there first. You heard it here first. Great. Steven Spielberg's going to call me up and says, no, that's not what we were doing at all. It's all mood. But, uh, but you know, for me, yeah, there's, I definitely, I mean, first and foremost, you know, it's an apocalypse. So it's probably dusty. It probably looks like hell on earth. So I could put dust over top of it. Uh, I could. uh, You got that real like light flare that happens in the snow or like when it's really like arid. I could put schmutz all over the lens. Mm-hmm, I could make yeah. it. Well, it, you know, part of that was like, you know, I thought to myself, if somebody were shooting this, they, you know, if they had a real camera, they wouldn't be sit there, you know, just give me a second. I'm going to wipe off the lens. Right. No, they'd pick up the camera and they'd just shoot. It wouldn't matter if it was all dirty. So, right. you know, that also lends to the, uh, the feel of the environment. So, you know, it's a win-win situation. <clears throat> now, I, uh, for the last, well, since we've been quarantined, um, I had a, a very sad moment of my own where my wife told me uh, that I had to get rid of all my VHS tapes. So I've been, uh, it's been a blessing uh, as well as like a, uh, like a, 
soul kind of tearing uh, time. But the one cool thing about it and the one thing where I'm like, you know what? I can get behind it. Uh, well, I love my wife first. Uh, then the second thing is that um, what we've been doing as a family is watching all these old VHS tapes. So I pulled my VHS player and I put it up on the big screen TV upstairs and every single day during quarantine pretty much we've missed a couple days here and there but probably for the last 30 or 40 days in a row at dinner time we've been watching some old vhs tape and we take a rotation so like some days it'll be you know blood sport and then the next day it'll be during the little, the little mermaid and then the next day it you know on mother's day it was schindler's list right. so but uh, tonight um, was Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And uh, it first off, it was awesome. And it just reminded me, you know, looking at your IMDb page, um, and, you know, first of all, we didn't know who you were. Uh, we, we loved your short. We were like, we got to talk to Tom. This short was amazing. You're, you're, you're close. When we started talking, you, uh, you also grew up uh, kind of near where I grew up. And um, in in the Ottawa Valley, um, sort of. And uh, but then you know I, I took a peek at your IMDb and you've worked on all these cool shows. And uh, you know tonight when I was watching Close Encounters of the Third Kind, I was like, oh yeah, you know the the forty four hundred kind of steals uh, from Close Encounters of the Third Kind in a big way, where you know the ship comes down and then all the people get out and they have aged and they, I mean, I don't know who knows if they have powers or not, but, but Tom, I'd love to kind of like um, get into, you know, can you tell us some stories from working on these really cool shows and some of the experiences that you've got to have? Like, did you make like, uh, you know, like three frames on that amazing thing that time? Or like, were you, you know what I mean? Like sometimes I think, Oh, you, when you look at the transformers movie and you see like, 4,500 names in a certain box. You're wondering like, yeah. did he work on like this Optimus Prime motion? I don't know who knows how it works. Right. We'd love to hear some of that. Sure. But before we get into that, I just wanted to say that when I was listening to the Close Encounters of the Third Kind song, I was thinking about that old game, Simon. You remember you, you had to, pre you know, it would make a sound and then you had yeah. to press the sounds and it kind of was shaped like a flying saucer and it had four colors. I looked it up. Apparently, those two things have nothing to do with each other, even though Simon came out the year after Close Encounters of the Third Kind. So mm. I think that's, uh, I call bullshit that's on that. Yeah. Anywho, that was my IMDb <laughs> searching. That was my wiki page, uh, Wikipedia uh, searching uh, whilst I was eating dinner. But yeah, yeah so um, going through your IMDb page, shows that I loved Outer Limits, 4400, Andromeda, um, you know, Star Trek Discovery. I mean, these are like the tent pole shows of, uh, you know, so many people's, uh, you know, uh, you know, geeky years. Sure. Um, what sure. was it like kind of being a part of that? Well, being, you know, I, I, you know, as a kid, I, you know, at 12 years old, I saw Star Wars. So when, when that happened, it changed everything for me. I wanted to be a filmmaker. So I go through York University film film program, uh, come out of there with a film degree and think I'm going to take on the world and I get a job in Rogers Community 10 
which is a great entry into the film business. Um, and then uh, a friend of mine uh, who was who I went to high school with uh, just happened to be the production manager on The Outer Limits out in BC. And uh, I went out and visited him and he, he says, you know, if you want, I can get you a job on here. And I said, when? And he goes like, a week from now? Like, I got to, I'm married. I, you know, I got to change my address and all that stuff and come out there. And, and so I did. Uh, and I'll tell you, being on the outer limits was pretty cool because I got to meet, I got to meet because I was in the production office. I got to meet some, you know, to me, they were big stars. Uh, to the rest of the world in the 90s, they were kind of, you know, B and C listers because they weren't in their prime, right? Yeah, yeah. We, we, we would always, because The Outer Limits was a, um, an anthology, every single week was a different story. So I got, you know, my biggest, my biggest meeting, I got to meet Mark Hamill. I got to, Whoa. like, yeah. And this was... Uh, for me, being a Star Wars fan, That's it so was cool. pretty phenomenal to be able to say, hey, Mark. And he turns around and I said, hey, I just wanted to shake your hand and say thanks for much for for being an inspiration to me. And that's why I'm here in the business. And he was like, how dare you speak to me? Yeah, don't look me in the eye. <laughs> well, Close. let me tell you, though. He, yeah. said, he goes like this and I'll do this. I'll do this impression. Oh, another one. <laughs> You're like, hey. Mark, <laughs> you're really rich. <laughs> it was an eye because of me, and like they a, say, uh, don't meet your heroes. Yeah, but anyway, so, so like I got I to meet a lot of heroes. really great people. Uh, I got to meet Clancy Brown, um, uh, all sorts of people. Like you would know them, like David Hyde Pierce. I got to meet Max Headroom himself, Matt Frewer, uh, like just so many people and these people were just gold. Like they were fantastic people. Everybody was really happy to be there. We did some really fun visual effects because of course we got to, it, it wasn't like, you know, we, we were at a place called the bridge studios and the bridge studios at the time had Stargate outer limits, poltergeist. Yeah. Just those three shows. It wasn't that big of a studio. So, uh, so we were all three, all of the visual effects people were in the same building and that building was like a frat house. It was so awesome because we're a bunch of young people and, you know, we were having fun doing what we we're doing, but the, you know, the outer crew, outer limits crew, we got to do fun stuff and different stuff every week. We were doing spaceships and robots. We were doing, um, uh, just clones. We were doing aliens. We were doing ancient ruins. We did like the whole gamut. Whatever. There's the Stargate folks. They're just doing like a gate. They're doing the gate. Sand. They're doing matte paintings. They're, you those, know, those, those staffs. Things. Yeah. yeah. Boring. Over again. Sure. And that, so, show, that show ran for like a hundred years. Yeah, it did. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think it's still running to this day. If oh, I'm no. Right. Stargate? In some incarnation. I mean, I believe you. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I, Outer I Limits was amazing. Why. It was like, it was, to me, it's kind of like um, uh, Black Mirror. You know, uh, exactly. sort of, yeah. you know, like, I mean, it was like the Twilight Zone, but it was like a color version of modern version of Twilight Zone. And they really went to some really crazy places yeah. in some of the episodes. You know, that was like right when I was in my, I don't know, I want to say my early kind of teens was was Outer Limits. And it was like mm -hmm. um, we used to watch Twilight Zone 
but outer limits like blew us away. We loved it. Um, but and and so um, talk to us a little bit about what, what comes what comes after outer limits. Uh, after outer was um, I went to Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda for the length of the series, which was fun. I mean, also in BC. This is all in BC. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, making spaceships for a living was pretty good, a pretty good job. Uh, the, you know, you would think like when I went in there for, for this show, I was thinking, dear God, I've been hired on as the uh, visual effects art director. And prior to that, you know, like I had always been interested in visual effects. Star Wars just sort of sunk me in the, you know, I, I learned everything I could learn and, uh, you know, grew up with Dennis Muren, grew up with, um, uh, Richard Eklund, all these guys who pioneered uh, John Dykstra, all these pioneers of visual effects. So I knew the techniques, at least I read about them, uh, was familiar with them. And so I had a visual effects frame of mind. And then I go on to a Gene Roddenberry show and I'm thinking, dear God, the amount of uh, uh, production design into the ships is going to be phenomenal. And just, you know, it's just, you know, we're going to have fans and, and, people double checking you, you can't use those type of thrusters on that ship. You know, they don't, that race doesn't have that. And then when I get there, it's like, no, don't worry about it. Just do whatever. That's Star Trek. Yeah. It was, uh, it was mind blowing how little concern there was for that sort of thing. Um, but, uh, you know, they're only going to correct you if you really <laughs> mess it up. So they just let you do whatever, unless it's the wrong thing. Just make it look awesome, sort of. Well, well, you know, to the, to, I, I don't know if I can actually say this, but sure, sure you can. Nobody's watching this show. My mom's boss. gonna watch the show later. Don't worry about it. We had a boss early on, who, when the script said, uh, "This new species flies in in their spaceships," and he was like. Oh yeah, we can just uh, we you know we inst we'll save some money and we'll use a shot of a ship for the force that we have and just turn it upside down <laughs> and and flip it and that was, that? It. It was that? that so it was basically backwards and upside down exactly and then he was like he was like listen and it probably worked <laughs> he was like listen what I'm gonna need you guys to do is put all the cash we saved. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> That's the part I'm not going to talk about. Yeah, yeah. But but that you know it was we we legitimately because we were so gung ho to do this stuff, we had to sneak in good stuff. Like it was like we felt so you know like we like we were doing something wrong by putting in you know artwork. This was right. this was a guy like he would say uh, like I, I I got to sit in on compositing uh, some of the shots. And that was exciting because, you know, that's a bump up. You get to actually see it through to the end. Right. And he, he, he passed by the office when I was sitting with a compositor. And uh, in those days, the compositors got these huge suites. They were treated like kings because they were true artists mm -hmm. putting all these things together. And he pokes his head and he says, oh, yeah, that matte painting that you're doing of the, the spaceport with those ships flying by. You know, those ships that are flying by, can you make those a little more transparent? And I'm like, why would you want to make them transparent? He goes, oh, yeah, you know, when stuff moves by, it, it goes transparent. And, the you know, the compositor and I are just kind of, yeah, sure. <laughs> Whatever you say. We'll, tot we'll totally do it. 
How, yeah, we'll, how, we'll, knock, how, we'll knock it down 40%. Hey, boss, 40%, right? how did you like that transparent ship that we made for you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was just it was awesome. Yeah, it was uh, it was a fun experience. But That's I'll tell you a Kevin Sorbo story. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you. I'll tell you one and a half stories. One story was that, uh, you know, he was uh, during the latter part of the, s- the seasons. He uh, and I don't know, Adrian, you, you, you don't know. Who I'm talking about Kevin Sorbo. No, hold on. Uh, Hercules. Hold on. I'm the getting TV a show? Kevin Sorbo. Um, what's he done lately? I don't know what he's done lately. Oh, yeah. So so he became an executive producer later on when they fired the original executive producer who created the show. Yeah. Uh, they got rid of, they got rid of the creator of the show because he was trying to do these gigantic arcs and these wonderful stories. And Kevin Sorbo kind of the, what we heard was Kevin Sorbo wanted to make them more serialized and to have like a new love interest every show. Oh yeah. So it became, <laughs> who's Dylan Hunt banging this episode sort of thing. So, uh, but you know, he's a great guy. He's a really nice guy. Um, he gave out crew gifts at the end of the season and he gave us, (laughs) he gave us underwear. Like the guys got boxers. The girls got bikini. Go go on. But, 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 uh, one of the, one of the weapons that he would use in the show was called a force lance. So imagine, Mm -hmm. Imagine like, um, imagine like, uh, it's, it's, it, for lack of a better term, it looks like a dildo, but on, you know, it has the capability of extending out to like six feet. So you can use it as a bow staff. You can, you can shoot with it in the original capacity. You could fire out these little bullets that would take bullets out of the air, like intercept stuff, which was terribly hard to visualize for us in visual effects. There you go. And it looks like a lightsaber, right? You're welcome, ladies. <laughs> exactly. So what he put on the, um, what he put, like he had stenciled the logo onto the underwear was the Andromeda logo. And then on the back, it said, have you seen my force lance? We um, have. We, we, We've yes. seen it. Yes. So, um, but yeah, that's. Now, do you still have those? I sold mine on eBay. God damn it, Tom. He's like, I knew you would ask this, guys. Hold on. (laughs) Let me tell you something. I'm still wearing them. You know who bought them? This guy. (laughs) (laughs) Full uh, circle. The circle is now complete. (laughs) Now... It goes without saying that Kevin Sorbo was often a guest at Fan Expo um, in Toronto and probably many Comic-Cons. So uh, my buddy Mike, our buddy Mike and I, we used to do this show. Well, first of all, we love going to Fan Expo. And this is a tradition I brought into my kids. Um, But we used to go to Fan Expo and then we started doing a show where we would walk around. I had a big camera. This was when people didn't really care if you were press so we would write we would say hey we're doing a tv show we got press passes we could walk in front of the line and walk right into anywhere and i would put this huge camera on my shoulder and he had a microphone we would go and interview people so one year we went and talked to uh uh 
there was a booth and it was um, Adam Baldwin from Firefly and Kevin Sorbo. And these two guys, just lovely humans, were just all by themselves and nobody was coming to visit them. Wow. And because I don't know if anybody knew who they were. So, but right. we loved Firefly and went to talk to Adam Baldwin for a while and uh, we're just chit chatting. And then Kevin Sorbo came over. And so the four of us were just talking for like a half Good. an hour. And it was it was awesome. We just chit chatted, and but really for me it was Hercules and not Andromeda as much. Although I did watch Andromeda, but I think he was doing Hercules at the time. But um, yeah, it was it was just kind of it was sad. But you know what are you gonna do? You know, different times, right? Like that's right. Geek culture has has exploded. You know the 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 old adage was the the meek shall inherit inherit the earth. Well, now it's the geeks who shall inherit the earth. Yeah, one hundred percent. You know, so I I think um, you know, like I say, he's a lovely guy. We had such a good time on set. Uh, <laughs> we had okay. So production. I always love when people are like, okay. <laughs> now, okay, I am going to tell you the yeah, story. I probably I shouldn't tell you this, guys. I to tell you this. No one's watching this show, right? Okay, here we go. We were in the we were in the same building. Uh, visual effects, and it's not often the case. Visual effects was in the same building as production, so you know we we got to avail ourselves of craft service and you know all the all the amenities that everybody else used to get that we would never get. Visual effects is like we're 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 orphan children essentially mm-hmm. in the business. Terrible. And so when production was done. Uh, and we knew we were coming back for, for the next season. They would just basically bring all the house lights up. The sets were all down. You know, we could walk onto the uh, onto the bridge of the Andromeda. You know, go see the different rooms. The the Eureka Maru was there. Uh, but a buddy of mine and I, in visual effects, we brought our rollerblades. So we were, we were rollerblading through the set. That like the set is one long corridor. That it comes into this area. Oh my God, it was so fun. And, you know, they, they, you know, the stunt guys would leave their pads. So we'd set the crash mats out on, you know, one of the corridor doors would be open and it, it would be like six feet off the ground and we'd launch ourselves. Oh my God, we had so much fun. So if you remember see, season three, episode four, when the guy's like rollerblading through the back and you're like, well, what was that a guy rollerblading? <laughs> it was. Or <laughs> when the crew members are going, what's the tracks all over the floor? What is going on here? <laughs> now you uh, you worked on a bunch of shows. I lo- first of all, I loved the forty four hundred season one. Uh, it just it went on too long. I felt like, or it didn't like get too crazy. That's right. should have gotten crazier at some point. I think like. The story was awesome. Yeah, forty-four people just show up, uh, and they've been, you know, they've been uh, disappearing for the last hundred years or however long it was, and then all of a sudden, all of them just show up, and they've all got crazy powers, and it's kind of like heroes, and it was great. And you've got like this one FBI team that's kind of like cataloging them all and going out and capture. It, it was like X Files and heroes and everything all built into one, and it was awesome. But they just kept doing this kept doing just new kind of X-Files stories without really ever like making something really super crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, but at first I loved it. Um, But what was that like? Uh, 
for me being in visual effects like here's the thing you know you've got production going on all your actors and your executive producers over here and then you know visual effects is over here we're, we're either working on the episodes uh like two weeks after they've been edited because you have to have a lock cut before you can touch visual effects mm -hmm. because otherwise you're doing a lot of work for nothing because the cut can change your shots can get uh, taken out right. so you're wasting all that time mm -hmm. so we are technically a separate entity um uh from the rest of the crew uh and yet we work in pre-production we work in production we work in post-production which is probably why we don't have a union because it's hard to quantify us mm -hmm. so so essentially uh, you know, on that show, I was working from home, so I don't have many stories of that at all. Like I, I only worked with the, uh, the visual effects super who would call me up and say, you know, I've got these shots. I'm going to email or I've got to, what was it? Uh, Dropbox. Uh, no, this is way before that. This I would love really. I, I, you know what I'd love to do is I'd love to, let me, let me ask you a couple of kind of questions about the process and maybe you can tie some of them into this. So, sure. so like, how does it work for a, like a, a regular TV show where, you know, you're shooting, I, you know, you're, you're shooting 20 episodes, like let's say Supergirl or something like that. Right. So you're shooting a bunch of stuff. How long does it take them from when they finish shooting one particular episode to when they would be ready to release it? You know, like, is it, is it movie ish or is it really, scaled down or you know are you like are you kind of banging through them in the same sort of fashion that they're shooting right. them in or can you give us a little bit of information about that? well the thing is that uh nowadays with the with the uh the the variety that we're seeing in the types of shows uh the pipelines are completely different from show to show you know you could take something like um uh supergirl and you could, I don't know for, for a fact what their, what their setup is, but you could do an in-house team and have an in-house team handling all the stuff. You know, you, it's the same sort of mentality with, um, with the old Stargate premise where you've got specific shots that you know you're going to do. Mm -hmm. You know you're going to have her fly. You know you might have her use her heat vision. You know, you might, you might have her using super strength or super speed. So those four categories are probably, you know, built into every budget you know, uh, and they have a very specific way that they'll do those. And, and you could probably, yeah, you could probably hire a human to be there the whole time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, you know, maybe even they do that for expedience, for budgetary purposes, knowing that they have a certain amount. Uh, but then they'll, sometimes they'll farm out like beauty shots. Like if some huge explosion was happening and, you know, like, a, you know, just some event level, uh, effect was going to happen, they might farm that out to a specialized company that does that all the time mm -hmm. or has a pipeline that is more accustomed to doing those sorts of things. So, you know, you, it's, it's a, when you get into TV, it's about, you know, you've got a budget and you've got visual effects. And then of that visual effects budget, you work in the cheap effects and then you throw the extra money to the special effects, the, like the special visual effects, mm -hmm. the, the ones that you don't see every day. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, you look at something like uh, Game of Thrones. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure. I don't recall exactly. Um, but I think they had many houses working on those things because, you know, they've got, a, you know, so they had such a short turnaround 
on a lot of those episodes too. And they're doing they're doing feature level stuff, you know. Going yeah, they're doing crazy things. With yeah, hundreds and thousands of people, and you know, yeah. you know, all sorts of different types of things, and and so, and and now the quality is just so much better too. I mean, when we were doing Andromeda, it was seven twenty by forty six. You know, like wow. this, yeah. like I can't show. I'm like, if I were to show my reel and then blow yeah. it up onto my monitor, it'd look like hell. It looked like yeah. there's Vaseline on the screen. It just <laughs> Now no. you you did you did eventually move you the most recent thing that I I saw was was the Star Trek Discovery, um, so I mean that that must have been 4K. Um, what, Absolutely, yeah. What was the what was the pipeline like there? Were you were you in a what, can you talk about what you were doing? Were you in a studio? Were you still working from home? What like what was the pipeline like for a show like that? I don't know. Oh yeah, fair enough. And the funny thing is, the, and the reason why I'm saying that is because, uh, <laughs> on a show of that magnitude, uh, there were effects that were pitched to us to do, uh, and I, I, I'm not sure if I can say it because I signed an NDA. Mm. Uh, but there was a character. There was a character that was not human. And that character would have had to like a character who was a bridge crew, a member of the bridge crew. So you can imagine every time we cut over to navigation or whatever he was doing, he was CG. Mm. And so they had built all these like huge, huge ideas. Like the bridge had, it was like three stories high. It had a glass bottom. So you could see down to space the same with upstairs. Like it was just vast. Like they pulled no punches with this. Yeah. So, um, so when you know, in terms of in terms of the politics of visual effects, there is a let's just say you can either do it and do it to the budget that it costs, or you can do it at a budget <laughs> you can do it at a different budget level and depending on it's it's really hard to say it without saying it but mm -hmm. it's it can it's get a, really dicey it's so, interesting so the, i worked the on the politics of things is very uh, interesting yeah it, it is and um and it's uh, debilitating sometimes i mean mm -hmm. you know obviously everybody wants to make a tv show you want to and, do the best uh, your best work. Yeah, that's and that's, you want pe you want people to love it. Exactly, you know? exactly. Yeah. But before all that happens, you know, it costs money, so mm -hmm. you have to make your money back. Mm -hmm. That is the bottom line. The fact that there are people who love to do their jobs that that love to put art into their visual effects doesn't really matter. And I hate saying that because I'm one of those people. I love doing artists. I was born and raised on Spielberg and George Lucas. And I love the beautiful stuff that came out of, you know, Douglas Trumbull's work. I, I love, I love the art of visual effects. And so when I try to employ that kind of stuff, it's, it's, um, Sometimes it's just a matter of, you know, somebody coming along and saying, no, 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 we're not going to design that new ship. We're going to take an existing ship, flip it and flop it. Right, right. So because they're trying to make their bottom line. 
So you get, you know, amplify that into present day and you've got, you've got such, um, uh, a muddy political. Yeah. All right. Let, now let me ask you this question. Yeah. You got, you got politics. You well, got by the every, way, the, you got the, everybody the, dragging you down, mm -hmm. but do you have also, it seems like you have some, some true like artists and some fans that are doing the work also because they love it as well. And so do you sometimes get the like, okay, okay, I get it. We got to flip the ship. Gotta fucking do the thing. But like, can we do this thing? That's oh, going to yeah. like blow people's okay, so minds and it's going to be amazing. We snuck things in on Andromeda. Uh, one of the, one of the hardest things for me at the time being the, the visual effects art director was that I, I was, I was in charge of making the ships and I took that extremely seriously. Uh, and the worst thing that I feared all along was trying to design another ship like the Andromeda. And if you've seen the Andromeda, it's curves and it's, it's a beautiful ship design. And I've never seen anything like it before. Mm -hmm. And so I dreaded the possibility of ever having to do that. And in one episode, it, it came up that the originators of this ship, like, you know, in Star Trek, they just built the Enterprise. They had a design. They went for it. They built it. In Andromeda, the idea was that this master race of engineers created this ship for, uh, for the, um, the Commonwealth. So the Commonwealth had these ships by the grace of these incredible master engineers. And then they mm -hmm. took off and disappeared. Mm -hmm. So how do you design, like <laughs> with that as your template, how do you mm -hmm. design the next bunch of ships that are supposed to look like that? Right. But it was a huge challenge. I, I think I think they turned out really well, but they were in one shot. <laughs> like I did all this fuss for right. one shot. For one thing, They're yeah. Yeah. a planet and... Uh, Listen, sometimes you got to be like, that was mine. That right there. That was my thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's that you're, you are touching on one thing that I really did appreciate about that is that when you were like when in, in that age, uh, in the nineties, in the early aughts, you're the four or five seconds that you had to do a visual effect. Those were your five or four or five seconds. You and maybe a compositor. Some of us were generalists, so we would do all the CG, all the integration, all the compositing, all in one shot. So those are your five seconds. And it's like I was thinking, I'm an artist. I have five seconds to show the world what I can do. And so right. I, I took a lot of it very personally. I, I, you know, if if I was doing a shot, I made sure that I followed, you know, the rules that George Lucas had set up with ILM to make ship movement look good. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole like he had this these whole bunch of rules about, you know, the dynamics of how a ship should move through a frame. And it shouldn't just be, you know, this. Mm -hmm. It should have visual flow. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you, you there was a lot I, of, kind of I remember the first time that I saw uh, the Star Destroyer. So do I. That's what sucked me in. <laughs> it's a long shot. So what do, what do you what do you do? So what is your designation in the world of visual effects? Because you you just said now that you're a generalist. Uh, so yeah. what is it? What do you usually end up doing on these shows? Well, I, that have, is I also have a question from the crowd. So go sure. ahead and we'll it's forget. it's an older title like uh, 
quick suitors, believe it or not, is like my, I, I don't want to do visual effects anymore. I'm burned out. I want to be a filmmaker. I want to, I want to write and direct my own, my own movies. Mm -hmm. And, and so I basically use quick suitors as my swan song to get out of it. Like take everything that I'd learned, apply it to this one thing, make a splash, and then hopefully, you know, move up into a different realm. Mm -hmm. So, so my, my title as a visual effects generalist is not something that you'd see in the credits so much you would see like if i did a matte painting then i get a matte painting credit if i did modeling for a ship or whatever i would get that credit so mm. uh if i composited a shot then i get that credit okay. so uh your generalist title simply means that you wear a lot of hats you're available you're working sometimes you're on the show um in, you know, in you know, a bunch of different things. They just throw you something. Oh, today you're going to be, you know, animating a character walking through a frame. Okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. One of the questions that that we had from from uh, Nuno here, we go. I'm going to pop it up. So, is it is it better to not have low quality CG, or does something make it better than nothing? Is the question. Here we go. Hmm. <clears throat> I guess I guess it all depends on the way it's integrated. Like if you look at the CG in my short film. It's not great. I, I fully take you know take all the heat for that, but it's that I did it in a way where I incorporated not just you know animation, but you know the camera angle, uh, the stuff that is in the frame that you know like uh, uh, the effects, the dust, the dirt, the uh, the engines, like all these different things. I think if you have if you have bad anything or low quality anything in a short film or whatever you're doing, if that pulls you out of the story, then that's what you have to address. Um, and that, you know, that goes from sound to, to direction, to story, to casting, to whatever, mm -hmm. anything that takes you, pulls you out of that story needs to be addressed in a better way. If yeah. your story is dependent on a CG element, then that's a bullet you're going to have to bite. You just have to do it. You, you can't, I mean, that can make or break you. Uh, sound is such a hard thing for a lot of people. And it's kind of an afterthought to productions because who thinks about the, oh my God, I got to get a camera. I got to get actors. I got to get uh, locations. Okay, let's go and do this. Oh shit. Did somebody bring a microphone? You know, like that sort of thing. And then you end up with shitty sound. Mm -hmm. Sound can pull you out of a, like can pull you out of, a feature movie quicker than anything quicker than an ejection seat. You just, you need to really address that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. If it's mm -hmm. like I say, if you're, if your movie depends on it, then you got to pay for it. You got to do it the best as you, the best you possibly can. Yeah, certainly. Certainly you, you have a job to keep the audience inside the world of your movie. Yeah, absolutely. And, and if you keep the people, if you keep the audience watching and they never go, Oh, that. Yeah. CG is fine. Adrian uh, has I, about if, one if hour like, before oh, his that, computer that starts to heat up. Yeah, his computer heats up. He starts going like, uh, 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 uh. it's fine. I just thought there was a, ma a Max Headroom filter. Yeah, he's yeah. He heard you talking about him earlier. And <laughs> Adrian, do you need to lie down? <laughs> yeah. His Take butt sore. His, he needs a <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh -huh. 
No, um, it, it, and I will say, Tom, that is actually the cardinal rule of filmmaking. Make your movie, yeah. but just make yeah. sure the audience never leaves your story. And as soon as they leave your story, you need to you need to address it. So if if Absolutely. people watch in the, they're watching in the CG and it's not like you're like, oh, that doesn't it looks weird. Well then you gotta figure something out. Either you need to cut it out, cut it out of your movie or you need better CG so that you don't the audience doesn't leave your story. Hundred mm-hmm. percent. Mm-hmm. And so, to be honest with you, like you mentioned about sound, it that can be the thing, right? That is usually you're, you're watching it, you're watching it, and then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, something was not right. And you may not even know what it was, yeah. but you get this feeling that something was wrong right then. And that's yeah. where the editor or whoever has to kind of look back in what's going on and try to figure out what what just ripped my my guy out of out of the moment. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. So, so Tom, what's next for you? What is what's on the horizon? What are you looking at for the future? I don't know. What do you guys get going on? <laughs> <laughs> no. no. Uh, I'm I'm writing right now. I've got uh, like I, again like because I I, <laughs> I believe it or not, I don't want to do visual effects. Uh, so uh, I am actively That's trying drama. to. Yeah, I know. Weird. Rom com, comedy. Yeah. <laughs> but but it's. Uh, yeah, it's just writing and, um, you know, I'm, you know, as everybody is in, you know, COVID-19 mode these days, you know, I'm trying to think of, of contained horrors or something that I can shoot on my own even because mm-hmm. you, know, you can't have anybody else in your house. So how do you do it? And, you know, there's going to be a plethora of movies uh, about people, you know, over Zoom or over, you know, communication like this. And that's going to be your your stage for your for your horror movie. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll say that uh, a, a good friend of ours uh, has actually just he's leaving Toronto to go and shoot a horror movie, and uh, they have literally taken all the steps that they can. So, like their whole cast and crew have quarantined themselves. They've right. been completely right. away from everything. They've been like figuring out a pipeline to buy the stuff that they need and make and get it delivered to the location and stuff like that. And they're all leaving uh, to go make a movie. And I'm super really, jealous, really jealous, super <laughs> jealous right now. I'm like, you can only do what you can only do. Right. That's like right. it's to me, it's been, it's just been a, a really challenging time because I, you know, I hoped so much for, for my short film to make a huge dent, to be the, you know, the David F. Sandberg story where somebody sees it after it goes viral and suddenly you're directing Shazam, you know, like, but, but, you know, in, as a backup, you always have to think, okay, what's my side hustle? What, you know, how am I going to keep doing this in spite of the fact that, you know, the, the best laid plans didn't come to fruition. So, you know, it's just, it's about, it's about, meeting people as best you can, however you can. It's about, you know, creating a network. It's about continuing your creative journey. Mm-hmm. It's about not stopping in spite of the, uh, the obstacles. Mm-hmm. I'll say that, uh, you know, every, everybody that's watching, whether it's now live or later on, um, you need to go check out Tom's Instagram. First of all, um, like do you do all your own social stuff or did you also like have some, the the thing is, is like, you know, Adrian, you remember when you used to do the, um, film facts, the guess your film. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You scroll through Tom's Instagram. At some point you're going to get to like a nine picture, uh, 
giant poster. <laughs> it's fucking person. awesome. And and like you know you you're creating all the like the 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 balls and the all the different uh, little tiny videos and stuff like that. Your your social bits were awesome. Your YouTube Thank behind you. the scenes stuff were so great. And uh, and and we really enjoyed the the short also. Um, one thing that that we like to ask all of our guests is uh, for their desert island films. Boxers. That's right. Oh, sorry, what? No, I mean uh, obviously you have the Kevin Sorbo boxers, but. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, if you had to take three hey, films to the desert island, okay, the ones that these don't have to be the best best films of all time. These are the ones that you're going to guilty pleasure uh, yep. watch over and over again. Um, what what would your three films be? Uh, definitely some stuff by Edgar Wright, either Hot Fuzz oh, or Baby yeah. Driver. You know, <laughs> Baby on. Driver. Yeah, do you know is what? my fave. We just yeah, like. We- I, the level just, yeah, that we, that film goes to. We just it, did an Edgar Wright. Like, I watched all of his movies again. I, I love make, that guy. Whenever we watch Baby Driver, I make my children turn off their phones because it's important. It's right? like being in church. It, it, <laughs> it's it is. It really is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's you know, and, so you, good. I, and I actually, yeah. you know, you, you had a funny, um, you had a, a funny thing which, which really pissed me off you were talking in one of your your shorts you were like so i was watching star trek into darkness and you were like oh i know it's star trek into darkness <laughs> and i was like fuck you tom i love star trek into darkness <laughs> I, I do too but that's I why listen. i was i watched it that's what i mean like i i that is a guilty play i love that movie uh, I, I know the all trek the hardcores into- out there are like star trek into darkness mm-hmm. no 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 <laughs> Star Trek Into Darkness, <laughs> shut up, Adrian, is amazing. <laughs> I listened to the soundtrack on Spotify. I the piano thing with the 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 father. Oh my god! Come on. I'm I'm a huge uh, soundtrack fan. I I oftentimes that's like half of the thing that I ever listen to is soundtracks because we, I feel like if you're if you're in that mode of thought that you're yeah. listening to music and you're playing a story in your head. It's like flexing a muscle. That then it becomes second nature to you to to write scenarios around that music. I, I listen to classical music for exactly that reason. Like that because classical music is kind of like this blank template. So you'll hear uh, Respighi's the the. Oh, now I'm going to forget the name of it. But you'll hear you you'll hear something by some some artist that's been dead for over 200 years, and you'll see you'll see images in your mind's eye based on the music that you're hearing. And isn't that like the purest form of storytelling? Last year we did a, we did a writer's retreat and people have heard the story before, but um, we, Adrian and I went away three days, something like that to write our most recent script. And um, while we were writing, we would play or I would throw on like uh I had the the Tron soundtrack, Tron Legacy. Right. Uh, I had Inception. Dark Knight, Dark Knight. Um, which, what else? Inception. I, I think made Inception a, made a. And so we would like we're this was pa- this was when we were writing, so past the storyboarding and all that, and uh, we're just and automatically. I know what kind of you're story just like you're, you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know you'd get excited and you're like flying through your scenes and stuff yeah. like that, and it was yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So 
What is your Instagram handle? Hold on, hold on. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Good. Uh, it's Instagram forward slash Tom Tennis Goal, I, I think. Tom Tennis Goal. We will, yeah. we will put we will put it in there. I think it's. We have a Tom. question here. What's Tom's Instagram handle? Oh, there we go. T o m t e n n i s c o. Oh, there we go. I uh, my wife has one of these keyboards that goes like this. Yeah. And I don't know how to type on it, so whenever I type, my hands are like. Anyway. <laughs> Okay, um, so there we go. I threw I threw it in the uh, the comments there. Um, so Tom, back to the very important uh, question. Top three. Uh, so baby driver. I mean, excellent. You baby driver or hot fuzz. Fair oh. enough. Hot fit, hot fuzz. Holy shit, man. Uh, it, that movie. Hot fuzz over Shaun of the Dead. <sighs> Don't make me choose. It's like choosing <laughs> choosing the child. That's a, that's a tough one. That is a yeah. tough one. And even I would choose Scott Pilgrim. Like, holy God. Did you know he did Scott Pilgrim versus versus the universe? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. And um, does and that I, mean you haven't seen Spaced? I have not seen Spaced. <gasps> I have not seen Spaced either. Oh, oh, you guys. Oh, shit. Oh, you guys. You guys. Two seasons. I think it's seven episodes. They're half hour. And they are oh pure gold, man. Oh man, okay. You, you, oh, this, this is where he got his start. This is this is uh, I guess uh, Edgar Wright and uh, Simon Pegg uh, met uh, during the production of some other TV show, but they got together with uh, Jessica. Oh, now I'm going to forget her last name. Oh, uh, Jessica, yeah, wish Jessica and uh, Jessica. Oh, I can't remember her last name. But uh, her and Simon Pegg were in a, a comedy troupe. Jessica Haynes. Them... I'm sorry? Jessica Haynes. Yes, yes. She, she and he were part of a, a comedy troupe that, uh, that were writing things like a, an improv group. And then Edgar Wright met Simon Pegg, and they decided to get together on this show. And I don't know where they got the money or how they got the how, – how you could spin this TV show. But I'm, I'm telling you, if you guys – I want to watch that. Where is it? It's on. Do you have Amazon Prime? Yeah, yeah. It's on Amazon. Amazing. Thank, thank now, you. Jeff I will Bezos. say this: if you start it tonight, don't count on getting any sleep. <laughs> oh shit! <I> guarantee you. <laughs> all right, you all right. Be. I'll tell you. You know what? I, you know what show I just wear started? a diaper because you won't want to get up. I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm telling you. You will binge this whole thing, and you will be friggin' amazed. There's an episode. There's an episode. I'm just gonna say this. There's an episode where where the guys like this. It's it's um it's essentially a bunch of 20 year olds living together and how you know it's the the how they integrate uh, pop culture into their lives and you know are they slackers aren't they? Uh, but it's just pure comedy gold. But there's one episode where the guys are like, you know why you know I guess. Uh, Jessica's character comes in the room and she's like, why are you guys watching that, uh, that uh, action film with all the guns? And uh, one of the guys gets up and he's like, just like, it's just something that guys do, you know, it's just an unspoken thing. And, and at one point it's like, here, let me show you. And Simon Pegg just turns around and he starts shooting the guys, you know, with nothing. He's got nothing in his hand. He's just shooting. And they're doing a slow motion gunplay thing. And it's, and then uh, I won't say any more than that. But yeah, 
That's my, this is my gift to you, gentlemen. Thank, Thank you very much. Very much. I'm very excited about that. You will love it. You will I, love it. I just started watching Upload. I don't know if you guys have checked that out. Yeah, on yeah. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's pretty freaky. It's a little, it, it feels like it could happen next year. Right. You know, it's it's a little hectic. So, uh, everything by Simon Pegg plus Baby Driver. Uh, give us yeah, where to go from there? Uh, I don't know. I you know I can't stop watching uh, the Joker scene in Dark Knight. So maybe Dark Knight, uh, Heath Ledger. Holy shit! Um, I mean, uh, other than that, I mean, well, I can't. I can't. A, let me see I, if I can. Let me see if I can pull this. And, uh, and not here. There he is, right there. Oh, there you go. All right. There we go. <laughs> okay, okay. I think I have chosen. I can I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, this would be my third choice. Army of Darkness. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> this is my boomstick. Excellent. Sam Raimi at his best. <laughs> Sam Raimi, awesome. Bruce Campbell, holy God. Those guys, uh, you know, just uh, there are there are moments that like I've got I've got two sons, uh, 20 and 18, and it is now part of our Halloween tradition that we have to watch this every year, uh, along with Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas and Charlie Brown's uh, Charlie Brown's Halloween. Uh, it's a great pumpkin. Uh, but these are traditions that we have to watch. And every single time I watch uh, uh, Army of Darkness, it blows me away. There are things, there are shots in there that are just so epic, uh, 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 just well-timed. The comedy, the, the, you know, sure, it's cheesy and a lot of the, the makeup effects, but who cares? It's just, you know, it, there's, a, there's a point where, and I think, again, it's for, uh, for filmmakers when they recognize the, when, when the passion and uh, serendipity come together and, and magic happens. Like that's to me, that's what, that's what, um, that's what the best filmmakers do. And especially the guys that come from indie backgrounds like Sam Raimi and, and Edgar Wright. Uh, yeah. Just, and, and yeah, too much, too much good to say about uh, army of darkness. Tom, just confirm that that's your, that's your Instagram. I, I would say sure. Yes. I, okay. Looks, I, I, looks looks good to me. I don't think looks, I would I mean, have come yeah. up with anything more original than that. Perfect. I love it. Um, have you gotten the opportunity to see Evil Dead the musical? No, no. And it's funny enough, it was uh, they were <laughs> a friend of a friend of mine who lives in Godrich. His uh, he and his wife are teachers, and their high school was putting it on, and they invited me, and I just couldn't make it. But no, I haven't seen it. I've if you get the opportunity, sometimes they play it uh, in in Toronto and surrounding area. You should check it out. I took my kid, and it was pretty great. <laughs> you will you will like it. Wear something sure. you don't care about getting. Stained. That is correct. Sit in the front row, one hundred percent. Yeah. Okay, Tom. Thanks. Thank you very much uh, for thank being you, part Tom of the show. Again. I mean. You know, we learned a lot. We we heard awesome stories. So really appreciate it. Um, you know, welcome My back. Pleasure. I you know I, yeah. I hope that uh, you know you you continue on and have amazing successes. And uh, get, just you one know, would be great. Uh, one one super success. Million. One success. This is all we want to. We were talking the other day, but just <laughs> just, make, just 
this much success if we could just have some of that. We enough. don't need all the success in the world. We just no, no, bad. there's plenty enough to go around. <laughs> just, just a little bit. A kindred spirit. I, I just so. want to have a seat at the table, you know? <laughs> This, yeah, is man. this is it this is it so uh thanks again everybody for watching and uh you know we'll be back next week with you know either uh a super short show or uh, another awesome guest who knows now we're going to we're going to do our we're going to say our final phrase which is uh work, work hard dream big and work hard and then you have to say an equally as inspiring you know it's less it gets thing. slightly less inspiring when you explain how what we're gonna do oh, that hangs one drawer <laughs> i'm not sure what that i don't know what that says but you know whatever it's, it's fine work, look, okay wait. work hard now it's, a, I love it's it. a code it is it is the code why, why let me this, tell you something why can zoom not why why does Streamyard not get this right why are we backwards you know what maybe there is a way i i don't know <laughs> okay. you know what I actually think there might be a way. Let me just see something. Else. Surely, surely the automatic, the the way oh, the man. system should be, should be the right way around, and then you have should have to click all the buttons inside of the interface to get it to I, backwards. I it agree just makes with you. Sense. You know what? Uh, I'm gonna have to talk to Streamyard. Sorry, Streamyard guys, but you remember when we did our Zoom meeting the other day and I goofed with it? It worked. Uh, so Zoom can turn me around. All right, everybody. Listen, thank you very much for watching. If you watch to this point and uh, dream big. Work hard. Learn from your mistakes. Yay! Really hope you enjoyed the show. Wherever you watched or listened, please leave us a comment or a review. We really want to hear from you. Share the show with a friend. You know they'll love us. Head over to our website, thefableforest.com. There's all kinds of great stuff. Poke around. Check it out. See you all again in a couple weeks.